Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for uh, coming in today. We have a very special guest today. Dennis Kucinich is an author and statesman serving 16 years in the U.S. Congress and was twice a candidate for Presidente during his term as Cleveland mayor between 1977 and 1979. The Fraternal Order of Eagles recognized him as the outstanding public official in America. In recent years, the Washington Post magazine called Kucinich the future of American politics ahead of his time, declared Rolling Stones magazine. Gore Vidal called Kucinich writing as good as Theodore's Drazers. Ralph Nader favorably compares Kucinich writing to the legendary muckraking journalist Lincoln Stephens. The division of light and power melts Kucinich's writing excellence with undisputable documentary power and the moral code of a leader who cannot be corrupted. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Senor, former Congressman Kucinich. How are you doing today? Uh, thank you for that introduction. Absolutely wonderful to be with you. I've looked forward to our talk. Well, let me tell you, uh, you know, I want, I want to discuss a bit about your book. I don't want to discuss too much of your book because we want to make sure people go out there and get your book. But uh, let, let, let's talk about today's politics, first of all. What, have, what are your thoughts about what has happened over the last, um, several, the last several months? I'm not going to say years, because we know the last several years was a disaster. What has happened to this country in the last several months? Well, what, what we've seen is a polarization of the politics that makes it in, in, almost incapable of responding to the basic needs of the people. Now, you know, the uh, COVID, if anything, should have proven to us the weaknesses in our healthcare system. Um, and yet, even with a pandemic, we couldn't deliver Medicare for all. I mean, it's extraordinary. You know, it's, it's like we're not making a connection between public policy and outcomes. <laughs> and so half a million people die as a result. Uh, there's a, um, you know, we're still learning about the effect of our going into Iraq and the effect of our presence in Afghanistan. And while we tell people we're getting out, you know, there's advisors that are still there. Why the game playing? You know, this... The system isn't responding to people's practical aspirations. And granted, you know, COVID has created a, uh, an interruption in many people's lives. It's made it very difficult for people to be able to reconnect with the idea of community because we're all forced into our own homes and finally breaking out. But that sense of community is what holds cities together. It's what holds the country together. We're lo we've lost that. And so we've got to reconnect as a community. We have to see each other as human beings, not as Democrats, Republicans, right, left, whatever. There's things that unite us as Americans. We have to reconnect with. We're not, and we're, we're losing that. And as a result, uh, politics are, are not always going to be particularly relevant to what people are dealing with. Well, you know, my contention is that the biggest problem that we have here is, you know, I, I have this, this this claim that I make, and that is most people are good, but most people are corruptible, most people are indoctrinatable, and in that regards, uh, the powers that be have found a way to do that, which made exactly what you said a realization, that is that we cannot get anything done because each poll is pulling uh 
pulling up within themselves and not able to move forward. Don't you think our uh, the or, or corporate control of media, corporate control of everything is just about responsible for all the ills of our society at this point in time? Oh, I think it reflects it reflects the ills of the society. It's not necessarily responsible. We've got we got to kind of get the get the relationship. It's responsible to the extent that we've created a structure that got that has comes that is so far away from uh, the dreams of those who created the uh, Federal Communications Commission. Uh, and the Federal Communications Act of 1934 said that the electronic media should serve in the public interest, convenience, and necessity, and that the public should have some input into that. That's all been lost. And as media have grown in, into monopolies, become more powerful, uh, the diversity of opinion is lost. This is where the internet can be extremely important in presenting opportunities like this one for people to be heard and to go around that, that system. But that system which exists is still very powerful and influences public opinion. This is why you know, we were able to get swept up into a war against, the, against Iraq, which had nothing to do with 9-11. The media helped to beat the drum. You, know, you go back to the New York Times. I went to the New York Times office as a presidential candidate and uh, in 2003 at a meeting in their Oak Room. I said, I said look, you're, you know, you don't, there's no proof that Iraq had anything to do with 9-11. I laid out my objections to the war. My leadership was to, I brought 125 Democrats together. And they just said, well, you know, what do you know? You know, we're getting all this inside information. Well, their inside information was 100% wrong. Cooked, yes. And, and so I, and the book, by the way, if you, you know, the division of light and power identifies that I, that same process affecting local media when it was covering an issue relating to the city's ownership of a municipal power system. The media beat the drums for a monopoly takeover. And I was standing up there saying, hey, wait a minute, there's no reason to take this over. It's not losing money. They, it's, being, it's being attacked by this utility monopoly and you shouldn't uh, uh, before this. And it turns out it was their advertising dollars that affected their editorial policy and their news policy. I, I document that in the book. So you, you take the Cleveland experience and you put it next to the experience of a congressman challenging the war in Iraq. And what the common thread is the ability to be able to, to see clearly what's going on, notwithstanding what the corporate media is saying. Well, you kind of jumped the gun, uh, uh, Congressman. So let's go ahead and do this. Um, uh, your book titled The Division of Light and Power. What's the premise of your book? The premise is the importance of one person standing up and making a difference, how a young person can get into the system and change the system, how uh, you don't have to be changed by the system. And, you know, it's, it's like the entry, the entry into it, uh, I, as I described, uh, you know, people telling me, hey, you can, there's a chance to make more money, you're in this new position. Uh, because that is you as mayor of Cleveland. No, before when I was a councilman, there's chance okay, to make gotcha. money as a councilman, you know, if you just play ball and uh, campaigns where suitcases full of money suddenly appear or a suitcase. And, and, and so, you know, each time you take a step and there's a moral question that is presented to you, 
but you're told in politics you shouldn't even be concerned about that. There's no values, there's no morals, there's no ethics. It's just politics. And when politics becomes devoid of that, then money rules and you don't have any chance for the public to have a, a, a word in edgewise or a chance to have their concerns reflected. So. You know this book, the the division of light and power. Do you have a do you have a copy right there? Uh, yes. Uh, when when we put this in the system, you'll have the book will be uh, in front in, in front of everybody. But yeah, show the book. Let, let's go ahead. The yeah, division of light and power, and um, we'll have a link to the book inside of the blog post that goes along with this, as well as in the uh, in the thread. Absolutely. Right. Uh, so you know, but the but the whole the overriding uh, point of the book is. Democracy can work, but only if people are willing to take a stand. Right. And 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 keep in mind this whole idea, idea of privatization. Hey, once the COVID money starts running out, cities are going to look. You know, these corporate interests are going to look at this city and that city and say, "Well, sell your water system, sell your uh, electric electric system, exactly. sell your you know uh, pedal pedal your waste uh, your waste collection services." Uh, you, you know. There's no end to this privatization. And the point that I want to make is Mayor Tom Johnson in Cleveland, who was the person who started Muni Light. He was the great mayor of the progressive era. He said that I believe in public ownership of all uh, uh, public service monopolies, yes. because if you do not own them, they will in time own you. Um, you, you know, it, it is it is amazing because you've been preaching that stuff from the time you've been in Congress. Amen. And, in, uh, and it, it is interesting that They've tried every every possible way to just simply say that you're a socialist because you want there to be a bifurcated economy where the public sector does the public things that the private sector can't do as efficiently. In fact, in 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 what you just what you just claim, things like trans, uh, public transportation, etc., uh, having the private sector do that, profit becomes a, an expense to the public. Expand on that for me, because a lot of people don't well, quite I get it. I, I, I don't know if it's a direct quote, but I was, uh, you know, I uh, heard it, uh, that Lincoln once said, uh, government should do for people collectively what they can't do for themselves. Individually. Exactly. So, so can we, each of us, have our own fire service? No. Can we each have our own police uh, service? No. Uh, you go on and on with that thinking. And you, you must have, if you're going to have a city, if you're going to have a community, you must have uh, services that are provided commonly and they should be organized so that they're not just accessible and responsive, but affordable. And that's why people pay taxes. But what's happened is that uh, the desire to grab onto what the people own and to commercialize it, to cartelize it, corporatize it, privatize it, produces a greater cost to the people for basic services, electricity, water, uh, sewage, uh, uh, you know, cleaning and control. All those things are, are affected when you go from public ownership to private ownership. Now, the idea of, uh, of that uh, of being a, a socialist uh, uh, principle, no, it's not, it's, a, it's, it's basic democracy. And the other part of it is oligarchy and totalitarianism, control, total control of our system by, by massive corporate interests. So, you know, this, is, this book is a stand for democratic governance. It's a stand for people being aware of who's making the decisions in their community. 
and, uh, and, and how one person, in this case, a very young person, could get into the system, not be co-opted by it, and find a way through to public service instead of self-service. So, you know, the, the book becomes a, uh, a, not just an allegory that's relevant to today. Well, it uh, is your story. It is your story. Yeah, it is my story. And, you know, the, let, let me tell you something that I've always admired with you, Dennis, and that is um, you've been consistent. I mean, uh, it, it, you, you talk about the bribes that were coming in Cleveland. You talk about the, the possibility that uh, folks would have wanted to assassinate you because of what you're doing. You've stayed true to the progressive mantra. How difficult had you find that? And why is it, why so many people find it that difficult to do that? I mean, it seems to me that um, it's, a, it's a much easier life. It's a much re more rewarding life. I think you feel that you've lived a much, a very rewarding life, don't you? Still at it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm still at it. And, you know, it's the freedom to act that any one of us in public life must have. And we lose that freedom when uh, corporate interests latch on to our... Uh, or attach themselves to our soul, you know, you can't do. And so, uh, is it easy to do that? No. Uh, do you raise, uh, is it easy to raise money for campaigns when you have that approach? No. Uh, but do you have the freedom to represent people? You bet you do. And you have the freedom to always to do the right thing. And to me, hey, uh, you, know, you know, what profit a person if they gain the world and lose their soul? I'm not interested. No one's gonna buy me for some stupid campaign contributions, like, please give it up, you know? And, and, and one of the problems is that, you know, when members of Congress first come to Washington at the beginning of every week, the first stop isn't gonna be the floor of the house to get into debate. The first stop's gonna be the, the headquarters of each political party where they have minders that watch as, as the members of Congress dial for dollars. So that, and they, they are asking interest groups to fund their campaigns. And when they do that, those interest groups ever, you know, are going to be influential. It doesn't mean everybody's bought, but it means that in some cases that influence will be overwhelming. And so, you know, the, the, it's a bad system, but good people can still find their way through a bad system and challenge it and make it better. And that's, you know, that's what the book's about. Well, you became a Cleveland city councilman. You became a, a mayor of Cleveland. You also became a congressperson. So you represented people in three different manners. And now you're representing them as a whole with a book that with the expectation that you'll enlighten their minds to uh, see things differently and participate in the body politics in, in a much more engaged manner, we'll say. Well, that's right. And, you know, each one of us, whether we're an office holder or not, can be engaged. But uh, I guess the bottom line is, what do we stand for? Who are we as people? Are, are we willing to take a stand in something in our own lives or in our own community? Um, or do we just be quiet about things that are going on that we don't like? Or not help someone who we think, well, that person gets a little help, they can go somewhere and represent us. You know, these are questions that all of us face every day. You know, all of us are involved in trying to live our own lives. And, and you know, the book's about that, too. Uh, and, you know, you get into public life and it has a tremendous pull on your time and your energy. Uh, but, you know, it should not have a pull on your soul. And, and that really, this, this journey that I describe in the Division of Light and Power is a journey of my soul, not just by 
my political persona, uh, you know, because there are so many opportunities to come every day to sell out. I didn't take any of them, you know, because I wasn't interested in that. I wasn't interested in some material wealth or in a higher office if I only make this right deal. And when I was mayor, that's the test I had to meet. And I met it. And the book's about not just me, but it's about anybody who has to well, make that kind of a decision. You should vindicate it because the progressive movement has pretty much uh, coalesced onto many of the topics, many of the actual uh, policies that you have always represented for, for eons. Now, I want to get off subject a tad bit, and I want to bring in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for one reason, because you brought up uh, fundraising and, and bring, bringing money into your domain, into your into your campaigns do you think that her model is one that can be replicated where uh you almost have dependence on your supporters and uh, not necessarily on the uh mass businesses etc absolutely i think that uh, the congresswoman has demonstrated that an independent approach uh independent uh camp campaigns that are independent of of uh, political machines uh, fundraising that's independent of corporate interests, uh, an, an approach to thinking that uh, isn't hobbled by political uh, orthodoxy. Uh, she has shown that it's, you know, it's possible to, to uh, function and to become a force uh, without having to sell out. So that's, <laughs> that's not a small matter. That's, a, that's really important. Yeah, I, I thought I thought I wanted to hear a comment on that. Okay, um, Dennis, I usually ask this as a last question, and it goes as follows: What would you have liked me to ask you, whether about the book or anything else that you'd like our audience to know about you, know about your subject, know about the policies? I always I always get that pause. <laughs> you know, the discussion's so engaging, you know, I'm in the moment here with you. I, I would say um, the decision that I described in a book, would I, uh, if I had to do it all over again, would I, would I make that same decision? Would you? 100%. You know, to me, uh, some things are right or right. Some, some things are inherently wrong. And uh, one of the great misconceptions of our time, uh, particularly that political parties have, and I would say particularly that the Democratic Party has, is that, you know, I, well, I believe in separation of church and state. I, I, I also believe that, um, that we need, we, well, I, I don't believe in separating state from spiritual values that one must have a, a polar star of ethics that guides you know, everyday decisions. And I'm not speaking as someone self-righteous, holier than now, far from it. I'm saying that you, know, you have to have a code that you can live by. And, and, that, and when you're in public life, if you don't have that, if you don't have any, any ethical anchor, oh, you're in for a very, very difficult Ride. Former congressman, former mayor, former councilman, statesman, and now author of The Division of Light and Power, which you can find in the blog post here. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias.
Perfecto, hermano. Gracias. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.